You are listening to the To and Out CFL Podcast, a proud member of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. Are, are you saying that Solomon el is better than Sam Hurl? I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I threw that fastball right down the middle. I loved every second of it. Grab some poutine and a double-double. It's time for the Two and Out CFL Podcast. Now they have to kick it out, and they do! Every week, Travis Curra. Does anybody still care about this podcast? And Brazilian Tide. Hunters are people, too. Talk fantasy football, bring you the latest in CFL news, and sprinkle in a little bit of nonsense. Are you kidding? This is unbelievable! Ready, set, hunt! And we are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network, powered by ATB, Travis Curra, and Brazilian Ty. Of course, the CFL Draft is tomorrow, so that's what this show is all about. We're going to welcome John Hodge from Three Down Nation and the Blue Bomber Talk Podcast, a part of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. This guy researches nonstop about the CFL Draft, so we're bringing him on the show today. I Before we get rolling, Ty... Oh my God! What is this world coming to? Of all people, to get summoned for jury duty, it's Brazilian tie. And you know what's even better? What is that? I got out of it. Oh my God! Legally? <laughs> yes, legally. Like well, my favorite part about this: everybody talks about how the justice system is broken. This confirms it. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> We're putting the fate. I don't even know what this case could be. It could be a, I mean, I don't even know, a divorce or something. But Brazilian ties figuring out where the dog's going? Come on. Well, I'm definitely not taking it. <laughs> Is there a good story of how you got out of it or what? Well,. So some of my mail still goes to my parents' house, which is just easier because of the amount of time I spend on the road, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so I had one from the Alberta government and one from the Saskatchewan government. And I'm like, okay, so the one from the Alberta government is definitely a speeding ticket that I'm not going to pay. <laughs> so you didn't even look at it. It was a speeding ticket I got in 2013 that I haven't paid. So it came off my tax return. <laughs> Really? That's all you that's all you do? Don't pay till it comes off your tax return? Yeah, it was like $144 whatever. I still got like 960 bucks back. <laughs> the second one, I'm like, "Oh, Saskatchewan. Well, I know it's not a speeding ticket." I'm like, "That's probably jury duty." So mom opened it up, sent me a picture like, "Yeah, jury duty." I'm like, "Well, I just looked it up online. If I go or if I don't go, it's $1,000." But they've never given that fine out in Saskatchewan. Okay. So I'm just going to chance it. So I'm just going to chance it. Like, what's the worst that happens? Whatever. Uh, <laughs> she went to my boss and got a letter saying that I was working out of town. We were not sure when I was going to be home and that, you know, it wasn't really – like, I was six hours from Lloyd, so then I'm another three and a half hours to Meadow Lake, right? Um, or another two hours or whatever it is. I don't know. I tend not to go up that way because the highways are absolute garbage. <laughs> uh, Horse and buggy up there, three and a half hours. Oh, yeah, and you'll still you'll still lose an axle. Um, so she went and did all that, got the letter, sent it in. So I got out of jury duty. Uh, I was home like two weeks later. Jury duty was supposed to be this weekend or this past Friday. I went to Red Deer and hung out with a couple of buddies, and we played NHL 19 all day Saturday while I nagged on my civic duty, which I don't believe in anyway. 
So all in all, it's a win-win. In the Huddle with Karan Tai on the Two and Out Podcast. First order of business, riders sign Eli Buka to a one-year deal. We'll talk about him a little later on with John Hodge, but he was drafted in 2016 by Chris Jones and the riders. But all of a sudden, there's some Canadian talent in Saskatchewan with some elite upside in Eli Buka and Dakota Shepley. Yeah, and, you know, when when they were drafted and didn't sign, it kind of looked like a, a missed pick. Uh, but we see this lots with guys going down south, getting a shot, not making it, coming back, uh, and their team still holding their right. So it worked out that way. I, I know Chris Jones is gone, but, uh, you know, he was a pretty good identifier of talent uh, when he was with the Riders. So, uh, you know, with, with, with Buka and guys like Dakota Shepley, uh, you know, bolstering up the Canadian talent a little more, and then with the draft coming up here, uh, tomorrow and, and you know with the offensive line and the receiver talent that's out there, uh, the Riders could be in pretty decent shape Canadian-wise here in the next year or two. The Lions ended up receiving oh, 10 or 11 players here. Some Canadian talent too, a defensive lineman David Menard, long snapper mm-hmm. Mike Benson, we had receiver Danny Vandevoort, offensive lineman Charles Viancourt, but... The number one story here is Solomon Alamimian, and John uh, will mention him later on with him as well here. But man, this is this is big. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it's really unfortunate that Solly <laughs> gets two weeks to look for a job. Really, um, all the teams have basically spent their money in free agency, and he's not a guy that. You just don't pay. So we're sitting here right now. Three teams have, have expressed interest in the Saskatchewan Rough Riders, Toronto Argonauts, and Hamilton Tiger Cats, which none of those teams really surprise me. Toronto does have, uh, you know, Bear Woods there, but he's got injury issues. Solly has had some injury issues as well, but Hamilton loses Larry Dean, Don Unumba. I think Saskatchewan's a great fit for Elamimian. Are you saying that Solomon Elamimim is better than Sam Hurl? I guess that's what I'm saying, Brooksy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I threw that fastball right down the middle. I loved every second of it. Well, and, and, you know, with the amount of money that, like you said, everybody has spent and the money that just the Lions had spent. Oh, yeah. Uh, you know, somebody's going to have to be the odd man out, and he looked, and, and Jonathan Herdman did a pretty good job while Amimian was hurt as it was. And let's uh, face it, the Lions defense went on a run later in the season, yep, and Amimian wasn't on the field. No, and the fact that uh, you know they didn't have to pay him this offseason for anything with, yeah. with the CBA discussions. Uh, there's no reason. It's not like they're going to be hurt against the cap because he's gone now. Uh, and and But with two weeks to go before camp, or just on, over two weeks, uh, you know, it's kind of hard to find a guy that's going to be making two hundred grand, or that made around two hundred thousand dollars a spot. Uh, he might have to take a pay cut and a shorter deal, and just hope uh, he can stay healthy and get a bigger contract next year. Looks like Tom Cochran will be playing halftime of the Eskimos home opener. Freddie Stamps is going to be there. They're trying to make it into a big event here. But Len Rhodes, is that you? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry I uh, had to. I, I got this email today and I was super excited. I'm like, well, it looks like I'm going to the home opener. I'm going to make this work because I'm not missing Tom Cochran. Hey, I love Tommy. Gotta love Tommy. He's a Canadian legend. 
I think he opened up uh, Investors Group Field for Winnipeg, or was that just one random season? But uh, I love me some Tom Cochran. You can get that D.W. Darrell Walker bobblehead in Toronto at their home opener as well. So uh, you know what? I would like to start myself a, a CFL bobblehead collection. They had the Buanos going last year in B.C., you mm-hmm. get a walker this year in Toronto. We need some more fun promotions like this across the league, I think. Oh, for sure. Uh, you know, and it's and it's not like everybody gets them. It's like the first 10,000. So usually, uh, for the most part, it's going to be people that uh, are, you know, going to the game anyways. Yeah. Uh, unless, you know, they're going to be showing up early. But the Jays do this a lot. There's lots of giveaways during the year. Every every NHL team does this. And it, it might not get more butts in the seats, uh, but it creates a little bit of a buzz and a little bit of something to talk about, uh, you know, leading up to the game. And maybe maybe you get uh, those those walk-ups because there's a chance they could get a bobblehead or, or a prize uh, that maybe aren't quite diehard fans but are casual fans and know, know the player uh, or, you know, just can't afford to go to a litany of games and this is the one game they're going to go to and it happens to be because it's a bobblehead game. And uh, I, I, I do have to say minor league baseball teams – have, have the, the best ones, best promotions. Yeah, oh, hands down. They they um, had and, and, and some of the best names too. <laughs> In Pawtucket, they had A Rod and J Lo engagement night. Like, what do you even do for that? <laughs> do women wear like really, really terribly low cut green dresses, and guys just shoot up steroids in the bathroom? <laughs> How's this? They're having Whalers Alumni Weekend in Hartford. Okay, that would be unreal. We're going to Hartford. <laughs> do you think? Do you think Ronnie Francis will sign my T-shirt? Oh my God! Going to Connecticut. <laughs> that silent C gets me every time. I love that. <laughs> uh, I gotta say thank you to Park Power for sponsoring the podcast this week, owned by Chris. Kasoski and good people at Park Power. And when you are buying power from good people, it just makes you feel uh, a little bit better. I guess he wanders around town with a bow tie. He supports local causes, supports local business. So all of your money staying right here in the province. And that's why Park Power shares 10% of its profits with local charities. Absolutely love it. We've said it hundreds of times. Uh, you're feeding two birds with one scone by switching to Park Power today. <laughs> They've got a handy little calculator on the website, parkpower.ca. You can put what well, you're paying for your energy now. It'll show you how much you're going to save. It's super easy to do, parkpower.ca. And when you sign up, you get to choose which partner gets to share in the profits. Got to love it. Good people at Park Power. There used to be a pretty popular guy that wandered around Edmonton and City Hall in a bow tie, uh, you know, a couple of years ago. Is he trying to ride those coat strings a little bit? Did this guy run in the Alberta provincial election? Yes, and lost. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't think he's riding those coattails. <laughs> no, Alberta party lost all of the seats that they had. I know that. <laughs> Chris is in another league, man. Well done. <laughs> yeah. You're good people. <laughs> and now we're going to welcome John Hodge to the show. He's a contributor at Three Down Nation, host of the Blue Bomber Talk podcast, a part of the Canadian Football Podcast Network. John, question number one, do you sleep? <laughs> <laughs> 
That is an excellent question. The answer is yes. Okay. Um, I I have a like I have a career outside of what I do for Three Down. Three Down is my side gig. That said, this time of year, Three Down feels like a full time gig. Right. So essentially, I have my career, my my full time Three Down gig, and then any other amount of time I spend either watching Netflix with my with my lovely wife or sleeping and that's that's my whole life right now like like my house is dirty the lawn needs to be mowed like I'm neglecting all of those like regular adult responsibilities and and just trying to cash in on sleep when I can and I love it it's great well before we start the football what are you watching on Netflix <laughs> we actually just finished on uh, so I guess that is gonna not Netflix but we just finished uh, Parks and Recreation on Amazon Prime. All right, we're big. That is uh, we're so big good. We're fans. We like. We love Brooklyn Nine Nine. We've watched The Office. We 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 like The Good Place. So so we enjoyed it very much. We we don't have a new show yet, but um, but yeah. If anyone has any recommendations, I'm all ears. I like the CanCon, the old CBC stuff. I'm a company guy. So uh, Kim's Convenience and uh, Shit's Creek. I can say it without without censoring it because it's S-C-H-I-T-T. I think that's my favorite part about the show. <laughs> Love it. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> this time of year, uh, you know, we've been kind of spoiled because CFL week has happened. It's given us tons to talk about. But that has been put on hold this year. On Monday, the CBA negotiations continue between the league and the PA. Do you think that's kind of overshadowed everything to do with CFL draft tomorrow slash Thursday? Uh, that's a good question. I I personally love the draft. I invest a lot of time and energy preparing for the draft, and I I don't do it because... Uh, really uh, of any reason other than the fact that I enjoy it a tremendous amount. And so when I say I put a tremendous amount of, of time and energy into preparing for it, that is, that's not me complaining. That's me, that's me saying I, I, I do it because I, I really enjoy it. So for me, the CBA has not interfered at all, but I can certainly see how for someone whose priorities are in line, i.e. someone other than me, <laughs> who uh, doesn't end uh, several of their waking hours every day uh, talking to scouts and researching players and watching tape and all those things, um, I can totally see how the CBA would be dominating the, the you know, just the chatter, be it you know, at the water cooler or on social media about the CFL right now. The CFL Players Association and the league are not close to an agreement yet. And we're recording this on April 30th, which means that yeah. tomorrow we are officially less than three weeks out from training camp. And currently we've got the CFL threatening legal action against players who, who um, choose not to report to camp in two provinces. Unfortunately for the Players Association, those provinces are Ontario and Alberta, which house five of the league's nine teams. So in the letter that uh, my colleague Justin Dunk broke on our site today, you know, the league was already getting nasty. Now they're getting real nasty, and the players are, are trying to keep things together, even though it's a union that at this point I'm not sure makes a lot of sense because the Canadian players and the American players, both of whom make up approximately half the, the, the union, want completely different things on almost every single issue. And uh, so I don't envy 
certainly the Players Association. I also don't necessarily envy the league's position. It's, uh, it's, a, it's, it's a nasty fight. It's a hard fight. And it's one that, yeah, I can totally see and appreciate how, you know, your, your average CFL fan, and most fans, too, they don't want to know the details yeah. about the CBA. Like, they don't want to know how the sausage gets made. They just want to enjoy it come the opening day of training camp. And right now, we're far from being guaranteed that training camps can open on time. You and the team at Three Down Nation do a really good job of kind of explaining what's happening with these negotiations for a, a schlub like me. But basically, are the issues here guaranteed money, health benefits, and are, are those basically, and maybe even the ratio, are those the main issues that they're arguing over here? I mean, I, one thing that's never made a lot of sense to me is, from the like, like from the league's perspective, they don't want to talk publicly about what they want because at the end of the day, like the league's perfect setup would be the players, you know, show up and and don't get paid at all. Right. They, yeah. hurt, they just go out <laughs> on the street and and you know, just just live with their injuries. Um, obviously, that's not what in reality would ever happen. But the league, you know. Their, their, their platform is essentially to keep as much money as possible for their owners, and, and which inevitably means not giving the players the piece of the pie they probably deserve. Um, so I appreciate why the CFL never comes forward with their side of things. The PA, I think, should be more transparent in terms of what they want. Um, the biggest priority from people I've talked to um, from Canadians and Americans, this is one of the few ways in which Canadians and Americans, I think, see eye to eye, is nobody wants another Jonathan Hefney situation where yeah. a player suffers a long-term uh, debilitating injury. Um, you know, Jonathan Hefney, for those who, who haven't followed the story, the injury happened three and a half years ago, and he still cannot lift his arm above his shoulder due to nerve damage. It, it's completely inhibiting his ability to work and to just function as a normal person. He has a young child he can't hold with one of his arms because it doesn't work. And the Alouettes, who were his employer at the time of the injury, were only obligated to pay for a year's worth of his medical care. And after that, he's had to pay everything out of his own pocket, which in the States is next to impossible. So, you know... Players want that, and I think they'll probably make some inroads there in terms of long-term medical care. The CFL needs to be very careful in how they word those things because the CFL is afraid that 30 years from now, you know, a player who, let's say, gets a concussion in July of this year will come back as a 55-year-old man and say, well, the CFL should be covering my medical bills. Um, so class action lawsuits, those types of things, you know, become a problem for the league. But I certainly think long-term care is one. The players want more money. They want more guaranteed money, which I actually think is probably more important than getting more money. Perfect example, Solomon eliminating his cut today, two weeks before training camp. No one has the money to give him. He, he, was, he was set to make almost $200,000 in B.C. this year. On the street, he, like, like he's not going to get anywhere close to that. And, and unless he had an off-season bonus, and I haven't seen his contract for 2019, no, don't know if he got a bonus or not, but... You know, the fact that he got cut as a future Hall of Famer with essentially no repercussions for his team this late in the game, I think, is, is unfair. So players want more money. They want more guaranteed money. They want to know they're not getting hurt. And the Americans want to lower the ratio, and the Canadians want to maintain the ratio. It's, it's 
it's about as simple as that, as far as I can tell. But again, that's all been kept under wraps, uh, for better or worse, by the CFLPA. Is it the Canadian and American wrinkle of this whole negotiation the one thing that gives the league the upper hand in negotiations? Because, I mean, it's pretty hard for players to be on a united front when they have different passports and it really benefits players on game day. Well, and it's almost to the point, I think, and I'm not, this isn't my idea. This is an idea that like, I've heard from players is, is it's almost time for two unions. Two oh. separate Because, again, the, the two sides, they, like, Americans get compensated in Canadian dollars. Does that really make sense for them? Uh, maybe, maybe not. It also depends on where you're living. There's legality in terms of getting American guys um, you know, their, uh, their bonuses and, and Americans like to be paid differently than Canadians for tax reasons. And like, there's, there's just so many nuances that are different between the two and rosters are basically 50, 50, right? If rosters were 80, 20 American or 80, 20 Canadian, you might just say, well, leave it how it is. You know, the union covers most of us, but it's about a 50, 50 split. And there's two very different, you know, interest groups really at hand there's 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 it's a pretty 50 50 split and each group generally speaking and i the i i do want to specify that i'm speaking in general terms because i'm sure there are americans out there in whatever the 400 to 500 people in the union who are fine with the ratio um and there are probably some canadians who wouldn't be horribly offended by lowering the ratio slightly but in general the Canadians and Americans do not have the same priorities. And so maybe rather than one giant 500-player union, two unions of, you know, approximately 250 in the long term might make more sense. So uh, quickly before we talk draft, if you're a betting man, are we going to have a work stoppage when it comes to training camp or preseason or even regular season games? And maybe... How is this all going to work? If, if the vets decide to strike, would the rookies still be in camp? I mean, that's coming from a ignorant point of view, but it's definitely something I'm curious in. Well, there's, a, there's two groups that I think will be in camp regardless. One is rookies. Rookie players are not technically considered part of the CFLPA because they've yet to pay any union dues. Right. They've yet to, to, to really, you know... Um, you don't set, set foot on the field. They're not really technically employees of CFL teams until the regular season starts. And so if you're in your first training camp, you know, you, you show up. And I don't blame players for that. I don't think even the PA would blame players for that because, you know, say you're a defensive back at a Jackson State, you know, you're 5'9", so even though you're good, the NFL doesn't want you. So you get told by your agent, hey, there's this team called the Calgary Stampeders that wants to sign you. And you say, what is a Calgary Stampeder? Hey, it's a CFL team. They just sent you a plane ticket. Do you want to go to training camp? You're not turning down that plane ticket because you're worried about guys in the league, you know, getting their You just show up. Because if you don't take that plane ticket, you might never get another opportunity to play professional football. So the rookies will show up. The other ones, and this is a piece I wrote – kind of going back to last week about what are called report and pass bonuses on three down. 
is a lot of veteran players, not the elite guys, not the Mike Rileys and the Bolivar Mitchells. Those guys get off-season bonus money in February and April. That, that sustains their lifestyle through the wintertime. But middle-class CFL veterans, guys who make anywhere from, say, 75 to maybe 175 a lot of them being in the 100 to maybe $125,000 range, get what are called report and pass bonuses. You get to training camp, you report, you pass your physical and boom, you get your whatever it is, $12,000, $20,000, $30,000. The biggest one I've seen is $50,000. Wow. And if teams are unable, and the PA right now is completely unable to guarantee that guys who don't show up will still get their report and pass bonuses because legally, from the lawyers that have looked at it on the league side, on the PA side, people I've talked to, essentially they've all come back and said the same thing. We can't for sure say which way it would go, either players all forfeiting their report and pass or players all still being legally entitled to their report and pass bonuses because some teams word contracts differently. But essentially what they've said is we suspect that if players do not get to training camp, they will not any longer have a legal argument to get their report and pass. If they were to sue a team... For their report and pass bonus, the language would probably not hold up in a court of law. So if I'm a CFL veteran and I only make $90,000 for the season, but 15000 of, of it comes just on May 19th for me showing up to training camp, you bet your butt I'm going to be there because there's no way I'm, I'm taking that fifteen grand out of my own pocket, especially if you know, you're, the, you know, you got to send part of that home to the states, or you got to, you know, you got little ones at home, you got a family. Like, I just don't think that makes sense. So, I think rookies, I think some of our important past guys will show up. That said, will we miss regular season games? I would be shocked. Um, preseason games, uh, I'd be mildly surprised. Miss a day at training camp, uh, that would not surprise me at all. That said, nothing's out of the question. Before we move on to the draft and your preparation for that. I want it on the record that there is no way I could pass a physical for $50,000. <laughs> yeah. I don't want to see any, I don't want to get anywhere close to a physical. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I've taken my blood pressure and it's like a high score every time. Cut down on the sodium, man. Yeah. But the bacon needs more salt. <laughs> I think uh, three of us can agree here. Help me among those who could not pass a physical. <laughs> Oh, I'm not talking to CFL physical. I'm talking any physical. <laughs> so, with with the draft, how do you go about like you know scouting and preparing and 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 you know getting stuff together for a draft where there is players from coast to coast to coast in Canada, and there's still you have the Canadians that are playing down in the states. Like that seems like a pretty hefty order. Well, what I what I do, and and this is a process. Like I, I, I kind of first took an interest in the CFL draft. Probably the first year would be 2011, and the reason for that specific, specifically was because growing up in Winnipeg as a Bomber fan, you know, for a period of about 10 years, Brendan Tamman traded away every first round pick that the Bombers had. I think from 2001 to 2009, the Bombers picked in the first round. I want to say one time. Um, and so once the Bombers picked first overall in 2011, I decided, you know, I want to take an interest in this. And I learned about a player named Enoch Mwamba who went first overall. And, you know, and, and, and 
as the years have gone on and I, I've kind of transitioned more to the media side of things and the fan side of things, um, I, I've kind of honed the way I do it to uh, picking up the guys at the East-West Bowl. The East-West Bowl is uh, essentially a university showcase game that happens every year. Um, this year's is at Carleton University. Most, most years in the past have been at Laval. And um, you get the rosters, and that's kind of my list of, you know, 70 to 80 guys that I build my, my initial database from. I also have a list of every NCAA Canadian player. I add that to the database. Guys get added in as they get their, their citizenship. And so over the course of this last year, from East-West to the NCAA to guys trickling in, my database is about 200 players. And I learn more about these guys by um, watching games, as many as I can. Unfortunately, access to youth sports games is not great. Um, at this point in time, you can find some things online. Uh, but largely for tape and film, I rely on what scouts tell me. I verify it to the best of my ability, but especially if it's a small school Canadian kid or American kid, film can be hard to come by. Um, I, uh, you know, it's, it's just a matter, it's a labor of love, really, is what it is. And, and talking to people and talking to agents and learning more about players. And you always have to take some of that stuff with a grain of salt because, you know, obviously agents and some mm. interest in misleading you. But I find, <laughs> you know, if, uh, if you study up and you talk to enough people, it's pretty hard for someone to mislead you because if you can fire off your mock draft at 10 different people um, and nine of them come back saying, oh, that guy's a joke. You got to move him down. And one's like, oh, he's going first overall, baby. Great player. You, you can kind of figure out who's telling you the truth and who's not. So, it's, uh, yeah, that, that's how I go about it. Um, my mock draft that I'll be posting tomorrow, my final mock draft, um, I'm, I'm still going to be agonizing over it tonight, but it's going to go through a lot of sets of eyes before it goes live. And, you know, I, I just hope it's good at the end of the day. I hope I get lots of picks right. And if I don't, well, hey, I, I did have fun putting it together, and I'll shoot for more next year. Were there a few uh, players that uh, your outlook changed on when the combine happened last month? Yeah, I mean the the combine, you know, as a whole, as I as as I and I've been at the last three combines. I've been very fortunate. Two years ago, I was in Regina. I was able to drive out Winnipeg uh, in 2018, and then uh, this past year, I was able to fly to Toronto in March. See these guys up close and 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 talk to people and make more connections around the league and and yeah well part part of the problem with the combine is that the top players don't come anymore yeah. because the NFL doesn't let them show up without doing all the testing which is a rule that i'm hoping the cfl addresses in future years guys who are at the top you know of that scouting bureau that that fans that fans check out guys like matthew bet you know guys like jonathan Congbo, guys like Kirby miella uh, Justin McKinnis, to name a few, they don't come because they're not allowed to interview and not test. Um, if they were all there, it would be a better event, in my opinion. Um, but yeah, there are guys who went up, guys who went down. Uh, one guy who I'd highlight is um, Laval's Vincent Desjardins, defensive lineman. He's a guy who's a bit of a tweener. He's uh, he's 260 pounds at, at about six foot one. So. You know, a guy who maybe a little small to play inside, a little big to play outside, but 
he's a guy who a lot of scouts really liked, and when they saw him in person, they they wouldn't stop raving about him. Um, whether he plays inside or out, they're like, you know what? He gets to the quarterback. He looks polished. Um, he was a guy who definitely jumped up a lot of draft boards. Um, another guy who I think gave himself some favors was Eric Strzala, uh, an offensive tackle from the University of Guelph. A uh, guy is probably going to play guard in the CFL, but East-West in 2018, he came in at 337 pounds, and at the combine, he was at 300, almost even. And wow. uh, a lot smoother. Yeah, I know. He lost 30 pounds in a year. Like, first of all, where can I do that? Secondly... Yeah, I need, uh, I need uh, some tips from him. Yeah, I feel you. Well, I had some mall Chinese today, so that doesn't help. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> All Chinese, baby. Oh, West Edmonton Mall, so many options. You can't go wrong. <laughs> exactly. Uh, he looked great. Um, and then another another guy I'll, I'll quickly highlight is uh, Chris Osikusi, receiver out of Queens. There's a lot of good receivers. This might be the best receiver draft class. I've, yeah, it's certainly the best I've seen in five years. And it might be the best in the last ten plus, quite honestly. Wow. Great. Braden Lenius Dickey out of New Mexico, I think, is going to be very good. Justin McKinnis at Arkansas State is going to be absolutely fantastic. He's got two NFL mini camps. Lenius Dickey's got one. Um, and then Curly Gittins Jr., like out of Laurier, Canadian University, he's got almost 5,000 career total yards at the U Sports level. He's got 2,300 receiving yards, more than 2,000 return yards. The production is insane. Uh, Keon Julian Grant out of St. FX ran quickly enough that that NFL team started calling on him, which is pretty remarkable for a guy from the AUS. Um, and Chris Osikusi proved that he can hang with those guys. Um, and that's also, by the way, not getting into the Herbie Miela, who's ranked very high on the scouting bureau out of UConn. And a, a very recent addition to the draft, Derek Unger, a kid who uh, went into the NCAA and uh, a very late addition of the draft. A lot of people don't know about him. He's going to be on my mock tomorrow. Uh, but teams only learned about this guy a couple weeks ago. So it's it's certainly the deepest receiver class I've seen in recent history. And Osikusi tested brilliantly at the Combine, looked good in the one-on-ones. And he's a guy who I think, you know, before the Combine was maybe looking at round four, round five. And I think he could easily go round two, three uh, on Thursday, which considering the depth of the, of the receiver class is, is a big deal. Because two, three in this draft means that in previous years he could, he could easily sneak into the first. Yeah, and Uzi Kusi is a name I was hoping you were going to bring up because I watched the Combine that Sunday and he was absolutely making DBs look foolish uh, in the one-on-ones the last the last couple rounds they took. And it, you just look at this kid and he's 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 big, he can catch the ball, and, and to say he's going to go in the second or third round just shows how deep that class really goes. Well, we're uh, for three downs. Uh, Justin Duncan and I put together a big board of top our top seventy-five prospects in order. And um, so look for that on, on the site. Probably day of the draft, Thursday morning, that'll probably drop. Osikusi is, is I think, maybe sixth among receivers. So it might feel strange to highlight him as a guy who's, who's still not in the top 20, but you're absolutely mm-hmm. right. Like, the, the fact that he, 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 he played so well is, is a testament to, you know, just, just the strength of the receiving class overall because it really is – just an unbelievable group compared to a lot of years in the past. Some of the guys over the history of the draft you've seen who have been first-rounders and not done much at the pro level, I think this is going to be a year where 
you know, you look at it 10 years from now and you're like, wow, all those guys came from this draft class. I'm not saying these guys are going to the Hall of Fame, but I think you're going to see a lot of starters come out of this draft, whereas in previous years, you know, a whole receiver class might only produce a one consistent starter. You did uh, briefly bring up Matthew Betts uh, a little while ago. He defensive lineman for Laval. He tops the uh, scouting bureau rankings, but he did end up signing a deal with the Chicago Bears, and the NFL draft was last week. None of the Canadian prospects were picked. I know you started paying attention. I loved your tweet to the NFL draft after about the third or fourth round when the, the Canadian guys start getting looked at. Uh, it feels like the first time in a while that there weren't any Canadian guys picked in the uh, NFL draft. That, that seems a bit surprising, no? Um, y- Yes and no. I mean, we, we've seen Canadian guys get picked, I want to say, at each of the last five years. But a lot of the Canadian guys went up getting picked. And just off the top of my head, you know, a guy like Brent Irvin, who went to Virginia, he's a he's a he's a huge defensive end. Um, you know, he he I want to say went in the fourth round of Baltimore five six years ago. He's a six foot seven defensive end who played it at a at a big NCAA school. And this year, looking across the board, probably the guy most likely to get drafted, at least for me, was probably Justin McKinnis out of Arkansas State. Not because he's number one on the board. He's 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 very close to number one uh, for me. But but Matthew Betts is my top talent. Well, Matthew Betts is a six foot two, you know, rush end who went to school at Laval. And if you're going to get picked out of a uni- like a Canadian university, you know, you've got to have that frame. I think if you want to look at a perfect example, Laurent Duvernay Tardif, a guy who got picked out of McGill, um, which with all due respect to McGill is not a top. School uh, football-wise in Canada, Laval would be that number one school. Um, but Laurent also put up freakish athletic numbers at six foot six and three hundred and fifteen pounds. It also didn't hurt the fact that he was a medical school student at the time and clearly brilliant. Whereas Bet, he's twenty-five years old. He's got a receding hairline. He doesn't pass that <laughs> eyeball test. Right. That said, I think Matthew Bet is going to be unbelievable regardless of where he plays, because he is unbelievably quick off the line. He's an absolute freak athlete. His frame isn't ideal for the NFL. He's 6'2", 250, which as a DN is a little bit undersized. But, you know, to me, the fact that he didn't get drafted is fine because, and, and agents will tell you as well, if your guy gets picked in the 6th, 7th round, there's not a lot of guaranteed money anyways, and often there's, there's none. Uh, but if you go undrafted, you get to pick where you go. And in the case of Matthew Betts, there were a number of teams looking to sign him as a priority free agent, and he got to pick which one he went to, and he chose the Chicago Bears, which is, I mean, a great franchise, a team that went 12-4 and last year. They have some brilliant pass rushers there, including Khalil Mack. But for every Khalil Mack who's making $20 million, you need a backup who's maybe not making as much. And so whether he has to go on the PR to start his career whether he makes a 53-man roster, I think he's going to be spectacular. And even if he doesn't last in the NFL, if he comes to Canada, I think he'll be the best Canadian pass rusher in the league. I think he's he's absolutely outstanding. I, I really like he, he's number one on my board, um, and, and I think he's fantastic. The only knock against Betts, some people don't feel like he plays the run super well, and some people felt like at Laval he takes plays off 
just occasionally. But to that, I'd say, first of all, the CFL is a passing league. And secondly, I mean, heck, if I match you bets playing against youth sports players, I'd probably take some plays <laughs> off too. And that's not, not a disrespect to anybody I'm going up against, but, you know, the, the guy who, like, like I want Matthew Betts running at 110% on second and nine. First and ten, I'm not, I'm not losing sleep over that because there's a lot of great pass rushers in the NFL and the CFL who are American who don't play the run very well. So I, I, I love Matthew Betts. I can't say enough good things about him. And, um, I, I, again, I think he'll have a career in the NFL, but if he doesn't, he's going to be spectacular in the CFL. I'm always fascinated about how some of these guys uh, fall on the draft board and how uh, teams want to handle uh, guys getting looks in the NFL. Like, for example, the Riders are getting Shepley this year. Uh, they drafted him last year. They're also getting Buka this year, who they drafted in 2016. So it, I don't know if Chris Jones, I, if maybe we got to give him credit. He was looking ahead uh, a little bit with some of these draft picks. Do you think Betts is a lock for number one, or does this uh, deal with the Chicago Bears drop him down the list? There's a 0% chance that Matthew Betts is getting picked first overall tomorrow, or on, on Thursday, rather. It won't happen. The Argonauts have had five players in for interviews, and they all play one position. It's not defensive end. If Matthew Betts had no NFL interest, it'd be a travesty if he didn't go first overall. But yeah. he's a defensive end. The Argonauts are going O-line. I believe I know who they're taking. Um, and he's going to be number one in my mock on Wednesday, so look for that. Um, that said... Matthew Betts, I think, could go anywhere from third overall to middle of the second round. And, and you nailed it with Shepley and Buka, two futures picks in Saskatchewan that worked out really well. In 17, Jeff Gray worked out for the Bombers. They got him a year and a half later. I think with the NFL, a lot of teams are reactionary. We saw a trend maybe with 2015. Brett Boyko, a high pick out of UNLV, a guy who played uh, uh, originally from Saskatchewan, got picked by BC, he's still never reported. And the same is true uh, if you want to go back, uh, this is further back now, but Stefan Charles, uh, a guy who, who played at Regina, has been in the NFL for, I want to say, eight years it is now. He got picked by Edmondson back in the day, never reported. The same is true for Austin Pastor, a guy who got picked by Eric Tillman, as part of the uh, the Ricky Ray trade, and 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 that never panned out. He never played, um, and so it's been many years now uh, since the guy got picked, and then just never reported. David Foucault reported to the CFL after a few years. Two guys in Edmonton, Arjun Colhoun and Tavon Smith, have reported fairly recently. Smith this year, uh, Colhoun two years ago. So I think we're going to see a trend, and it, it might have started last year a little bit with. Um, a guy who was a, a very high-priority free agent signing, and Ryan Hunter um, going in the first round of Toronto. Shepley was a similar deal, fourth overall to the Riders. Um, but maybe it'll just take a guy making a, a career in the NFL, and we'll see another trend where teams shy away from those guys a little bit more. But uh, Beth, to me, is worth a first-round pick, uh, even, if he, even if he sticks with the Bears for, say, three years. I would still use a first-round pick on him because I, I just think he's that good. Is, is there – I know it's, it's come up a lot in the past couple of years, especially with, with guys like Brandon Bridge and, you know, with the CFL having the opportunity for 
I guess, like a mentorship program kind of idea with quarterbacks. Is is Michael O'Connor the the next great hope for Canadian QBs? Like he's ranked number seventeen in the scouting bureau, but like is he going to be? I don't want to put you know Russ Jackson on him, but is he the next big thing for Canadian QBs? I'll say this, and this this ties in nicely to the CBA chat that we were having. Currently, the mm-hmm. CFL doesn't have quarterbacks as part of the ratio. Every team is off the top of my head. I want to say it's on on game day. It's twenty one Canadians and twenty Americans with four with with three quarterbacks of either nationality, and that's something that's always bothered me to a tremendous amount. I've written about it. I think the CFL should just treat quarterbacks like any other player. And if you have, let's say, you know, two Americans and one Canadian, that's fine. You count the Canadian as national. You count your two Americans as international or, or whatever have you. Um, I believe there's a good chance that's going to happen on this CBA and the league will, will smarten up finally and, and allow Canadian quarterbacks to be counted towards the ratio. And I think O'Connor would be a CFL caliber quarterback, whether he was Canadian or American, just looking at what he's done. He's a guy who was recruited at Penn State. He left because Bill O'Brien left that program to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. Uh, but he's been spectacular uh, at the University of British Columbia. He's 6'5", 226, so he's got the frame. You can't argue with that. Um, he's athletic. He moves really well in the pocket, and he can make every throw. Um, he, he's by far and away, to me anyways, the most polished Canadian quarterback We've seen certainly since Brandon Bridge, and probably even longer than that, to be to be perfectly honest. Um, no disrespect to Brandon Bridge, I just think O'Connor is, is a little more polished at this point in time. Um, I mean, I, I would say Michael O'Connor should, at the very least, I think he should be a third stringer in the CFL next year. And in most years, that might mean he doesn't even get picked. Andrew Buckley is a perfect example coming out of Calgary. I want to say it's four years ago now. Was picked with the last selection in the draft by the Calgary Stampeders, only as, as, as a flyer, really. They sent him back to school the following year before he signed with the team. But um, if O'Connor is actually worth a Canadian spot on the new CBA, he's got to go a lot higher than that. And so, you know, I, I mm-hmm. think he could go as high as even, I, maybe even the second round, quite honestly on Thursday. If, if he counts as a national, to me, he's worth that high of a pick because he's going to be on your roster, I think, as your developmental quarterback. And who knows? Within a few years, he could be a starter. I think he's that good, quite honestly. This draft is going to feature a couple territorial draft picks, and I don't think they've ever done this before. It just so happens that the two teams with the highest waiver priority get the picks, that being Toronto and Montreal. And I think with Western CFL fans, especially on the prairies, they look, why are these teams getting handouts? <laughs> so I, I want to get your thoughts on these territorial draft picks happening in uh, the draft. I think it's great if the CFL wants to incentivize teams to take players from their region. And and perfect example and I mean, as, and you highlighted the Prairies, Trav. Like, like Ryder fans love and adore the fact that some of their players were born in Saskatchewan. Whether you want to talk about a guy like Brendan Labatt, yeah. you want to go back further than that, you want to talk about, you know, the Canadian Hair Force, you know, just the Canadians that that produced for that team. Um, you know, like, like they they love the fact that local boys. I mean, like 
perfect example, like Mitchell Pickton might get playing time with the Riders this year. And it doesn't matter if he finishes the season with 10 receptions. People are going to be buying Mitchell Pickton jerseys because he's a Fasky boy playing in Fasky. Right? They love that. And that's true of, I think, all places. Well, I know Andrew Harris is a star anywhere, but the fact that he's in Winnipeg, I I think Bomber fans are going to love that. Absolutely. Like, there was a game this past year, for example. The Bombers played in Montreal, destroyed them. It was like 52 to whatever, 15. It was, I think, week two. And four players scored a touchdown for the Bombers. It was Andrew Harris, Nick Dembski, and uh, Keenan LaFrance all scored. I forget who the fourth one was. I think it was Drew Olatarski. But three players from Winnipeg scored a touchdown for the Bombers in a game. It wasn't a home game. It took place in Montreal, but still, like, the fact that Bomber fans are sitting at home on their TVs watching Winnipeggers score touchdowns for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers makes a difference to fans. So I like it from that perspective. That said, I think the way they've gone about implementing this is ridiculous. The fact that three weeks before the draft, they've arbitrarily given the two worst teams an extra second-round pick. Um, I also think it's unfair uh, from this perspective like, we have our top 75 coming out, and looking at it quickly, you know, Toronto gets to pick essentially anybody from Ontario. Montreal essentially gets to pick anybody from Quebec. Well, even just in our top 20, I can see a minimum of, of 5 to 10 players who are from that region. Whereas if you look at Saskatchewan, say the Riders got a free territorial pick, Evan McAbroda, the defensive tackle from, from the Huskies, to me is, is the best prospect originally from Saskatchewan. But the next guy, just not, not a knock against either program. Regina, Saskatchewan, both great youth sports programs. But, but Saskatchewan's a small province. There's not a ton of really top prospects coming from Saskatchewan. The same is true in Manitoba. Manitoba, the top prospect for me, who was born in Winnipeg, would probably be Jamel Wiles, who plays for the Manitoba. Or pardon me, Wiles originally from BC, played in Manitoba. Um, Zach Williams is an offensive lineman for the Bisons. Uh, who will get some looks, um, but but there's there's not a top dog, you know what I mean? Yeah. And that bothers me, the fact that if a team like Saskatchewan or a team like Winnipeg got that territorial pick, that value is just not as high. And that's actually a deterrent, I think, for teams to an extent, because say you get this territorial pick, let's say the Riders got it, well, now you're taking a guy who maybe should be taken in the fifth or sixth round, you're taking him in the second, which means you've got to pay him like a second-round prospect. Wow. You're going to paying him eighty grand, right, instead of paying him fifty-five or sixty. And so, I'm not even sure teams, in certain circumstances, would like them. So, it, it to me like the timeline was wrong. I don't like that it's given arbitrarily to the two weakest teams and nobody else. And I think again, there are some unintended consequences as far as just, you know, certain territorial parts of our country not having the same quality of, of, of prospects because B.C., Ontario, and, and Quebec will always be an advantage, uh, certainly over, uh, you know, the East Coast if a team ever, you know, actually catches on there, and certainly for the Prairies and, and, and for Alberta as well to an extent, I think. Is there a Taylor Loeffler in this draft, and, and by that I mean like a guy that's gonna that can come in. I know he didn't get the starting job right out of camp, but when he given the opportunity, uh, you know, played 17 games, 58 tackles, 
sack, four picks. He, like, he was a monster as a rookie, uh, all-star, all three years he's been in the league, including his rookie year. Uh, is there a player like that that can make a huge impact coming out of the draft this year in, in, as a rookie? And you're talking any position in particular? Uh, I, yeah, I would almost exclude O-line because, I mean, it, it, those guys tend to, you know, get get drafted and, and get starting jobs, but you can include them if you wanted to. Okay, I love talking O-line, but I recognize that that puts me in a very small minority <laughs> of people. You know, yeah. So I'll, I'll, highlight, um, I'll highlight a couple of players. One who I'll highlight is Braden Lenius Dickey. He's a guy who's, who's essentially a tight end. Um, playing at a couple of the different NCAA schools, he started his career um, up in the uh, the Northeast, or probably the the Northwest, um, and then he finished up at New Mexico. And um, he's a six foot five, two hundred forty pound player who sees himself as a wideout. Um, wow! <laughs> and, yeah, and, and he doesn't run brilliantly for for a wideout. He runs about a four seven five, but he did tell me at the combine that he wants to get down another safe. Uh, 10 to 15 pounds and that would help him move a little better but he high points the football really well for any receiver to be quite honest regardless of size and and the kid can also jump like the kid like he's got a he's got almost a, a three-foot vertical at 6'5", 243 so I think oh. he's a guy who even if he doesn't necessarily you know catch for a thousand yards this season he's going to be a guy who's going to play some tight end He's going to play some H-back. He's going to lay some guys out on special teams. Nice. Like he's going to have, a, I think, a big impact on the field. And he's going to be a guy who fans get to know just because he's so massive. He's going to stand out even on a pro field as a kid who's, who's I think, going to produce. Um, the other guy I'll highlight, and this isn't a, necessarily a player in particular, but I'm going to highlight whoever goes to Saskatchewan. Um, as a receiver in the first two rounds. Depending on who's available, I see the Riders in round one and two at six and 15, respectively, drafting an offensive lineman and a receiver. Um, whichever receiver that is, whether it's Justin McKinnis, uh, whether it's Curly Gittins Jr., uh, whether it's Herbie Miala, uh, whether it's um, Kayon Julian Grant, um, I, I, I see that player as potentially being the best receiver on the Riders roster, and that's no disrespect to, to Corey Watson, who signed there as a free agent, but the truth is he's 35, he's had some injury problems, and past that, the Riders are thin, and if they need to start, especially two Canadian receivers, um, you know, I think there'll be a rookie starting for them, and in most years, again, depending on where you pick a guy and, and the overall class of, of receivers, that could be a problem this year. I think you're, you're probably going to get a guy with some polish. One guy who I think uh, could be likely to go there is uh, Curly Gittins Jr. Um, out of Laurier simply because he is so polished. He's not an athletic freak. He's not particularly huge. He doesn't run particularly well. But, you know, when, when you look at the type of production he has, um, he doesn't have a, a, a frame at all similar, but... You know, a guy like Andy Fantuz is the perfect example of a guy who had crazy production at the youth sports level, um, but maybe not the best athlete. He ran a 4.8 coming out of school at Western, but he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. And Gittins, you know, he's only 5'11", 190, so body type is very different than Fantuz. But the fact of the matter is he's got 2,600 receiving yards, 
more than 2,000 return yards, and and he's he's unbelievably polished. And and he's not a freak athlete, but again, he's a much better athlete than than a lot of guys, even Americans, I think, in the league. So um, whoever goes the fast as a receiver, I think there's going to be great opportunity to get on the field and produce because the riders, you know, they, they need receivers, especially with Jordan Williams Lambert going to the NFL. And I think there could be a good opportunity for, for a rookie Canadian to come in, play, and, and do some good things. Now, I know you get a mock draft to agonize over tonight, and I know you like talking old linemen. So I know you said, and I don't want you to spoil your piece. You got to, we all got to click that piece tomorrow on 3downnation.com. You figure an old lineman is going to go to Toronto first overall tomorrow. Is this a guy that you see starting and being dominant right from the start? I don't see him starting right away. Uh, only because I, I, I see Toronto's O-line as being pretty set right now. Right. But the thing that I notice across the board for Toronto's O-line is that it's it's fast aging. Their guards are, are Tyler Holmes and Ryan Bauman. Both are over the age of 30, and Chris Van Zyl is starting at right tackle. He's now, I believe, 35. And all three of those mm-hmm. guys are getting paid big money. Um, Sean McEwen is a, is a brilliant young center. Uh, but he's also on a second contract, which means he's getting paid. And if I'm Jim Pop, I'm looking for ways to get younger and cheaper on the offensive line. Uh, so I see somebody coming in right now, um, you know, as a first overall pick, learning for a year and then taking over at guard, be that for Tyler Holmes or Ryan Bombin. Uh, both are players who, you know, uh, might have some trade value. Ryan Bombin, a guy who the yard was acquired by a trade last year with the Montreal Alouettes. Um, but, you know, a, a guy like Alex Mateus, first overall pick in 2015, was the same way in Ottawa, sat for, for a year and a half and then started. Uh, Matthias Gosen, second overall in 2014, was the same way, sat for a year and a half and started. Um, I don't see the Argos needing a guy to start right now, but I think the guy they pick first overall, I, I think they see him as a 10-year starter at guard um, with, with one year to groom. So I think they'll groom him for a year. Um, but barring injury, uh, I don't see him as a starter until 2020. That said, I, I think he'll be a good one for sure. Awesome. Mr. John Hodge, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us uh, for this CFL draft, CBA uh, <laughs> talk today. Where can we find everything? You've got a podcast, you write for Three Down Nation, and you probably have one of the most killer CFL Twitter accounts out there. So plug your stuff. Appreciate it, man. Uh, we got, uh, yeah, like like Tim and I do the podcast during the season, uh, but the podcast, you know, like, and we still we still love doing it. It's admittedly just become a smaller and smaller part of, of what I do. Right. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at John D Hodge. Um, the uh, you know everything I write is on Three Down Nation. If you toggle at the top of the page by author, everything that I write is there. Um, if uh, if you're at all interested in draft coverage, if you're interested in a little bit of CBA stuff, a little bit of uh, you know signing news, you want to talk analysis, that, that all ends up there. Um, I, I publish uh, oh, geez, uh, a couple times a week, sometimes almost every day, uh, depending on, on uh, how the news cycle is spinning and, and who I've been talking with. And uh, yeah, the, uh, the mock draft should be at Wednesday, the top 75 on Thursday. Another thing I'll quickly plug is during the draft, I'm going to be grading every pick as it comes in. I started that last year. I'm going to continue doing it this year. So any selection that gets made, whether you're sitting at home as a Lions fan or an Alouettes fan or 
or, or an Argos fan, I know you guys have, have great listenership across the country. I'll be literally judging your team and their ability to pick players. Now, my grade might not be proven correct over the long term, but I think that grading players um, on draft day and, draft, and, and grading picks is a fun thing to do. And I think it's, uh, it's a nice opportunity for, for me to engage with fans and, and just give an opportunity to, to at least share my thoughts, albeit possibly proven incorrect. Um, you know, a chance to share what I think about, about different picks. And, uh, yeah, it'll be a lot of fun come Thursday. Awesome. Hey, John, thanks so much for taking the time to talk to us. My pleasure, boys. Anytime. Thanks again for John Hodge of Three Down Nation and the Blue Bomber Talk podcast for coming on to and out to talk the draft and the latest of what's going on in the CBA. Brazilian tie, Travis Cura. We are a part of the Alberta Podcast Network powered by ATB. Ty, you ended up seeing uh, one of the members of the Alberta Podcast Network, what, on Global or something? Yeah, because I'm a complete degenerate during the afternoons. So you just I watch sat TV? on my couch. And watched TV all afternoon, basically yesterday, and did zero housework. Nice. <laughs> and uh, the he actually did the sound for us at our live show. He did, he yeah. So shout News. out to Chris for that. Chris from the Let's Find Out podcast. Uh, he was on Global News at noon yesterday with uh, Shay Ganim and talking about his upcoming shows and upcoming topics. So I thought that was that was pretty cool, and just wanted to give him a quick shout out. Uh, on, on this show because it was fresh in my mind and I thought it was pretty cool that uh, you know somebody somebody in the podcast network is getting famous anyways and it's not for eating pierogies. <laughs> yeah, he, Chris was a great guy for helping us out. I think one of his uh, episodes that you saw them talking about came out at the end of March. It's called Damn Complicated and that's Damn, D-A-M, uh, about uh, mm-hmm. the things going on with the North Saskatchewan River. So he learns about everything, and he shares that knowledge with us. So Chris with the Let's Find Out podcast, a part of the Alberta Podcast Network. Check it out and all the other shows at albertapodcastnetwork.com. Brazilian Ty, we're getting right back into the things here. We're going to be back next week and kind of wrap it up, what happened in the draft, and hopefully we have some good news to talk about. <laughs> <laughs> that that would be beneficial, yes. Like more stuff that actually happens in between the the, the sidelines, you know? I, I don't know. I'm getting a little bit worried. I think there will be, if I'm a betting guy, there will be an interruption for training camp. I really hope we don't uh, miss any games or anything like that. But Brazilian tie, the Bodog line, what are you setting it at at missing games or training camp? Uh, I'll set it at two and a half days of training camp. Two and a half, that's the over-under? Yeah. What are you taking? And You, you always bet the over because it's way more fun. You always take the over. In this case, <laughs> it's not fun at all. No, but it's really it's really hard to teach an old dog new tricks. <laughs> Rate, review, subscribe on iTunes. We will talk to you next week. Thanks for listening. Find more great shows like this at CF Pod Network on Twitter. 